Welcome to Meals for Maturity, Bible talks to help you mature as a follower of Jesus, by Pastor Dom Fiocco. Thank you so much for tuning in as we walk our way across the wilderness with ancient Israel in the book of Numbers. We now come to the third and final episode about the bees, Balak and Balaam, these somewhat strange, bizarre, that's another bee, these chapters 22 to 24 uh, in the wilderness wanderings across Numbers. Now, the ancient people of God, Israel, are led by Moses, their human shepherd, their pastor, under Yahweh, their divine shepherd. And they happen to spend a long time, as we've seen, uh, wandering in the desert of Sinai. Their step counters would have been broken by now, but their calf muscles must be pretty strong. And they're on their way to the land of Canaan, the land that God has promised to them, first way back in Genesis chapter 12 to the big daddy Abraham. But after many dramas, especially as we've seen or heard from Numbers chapters 11 to 21, Israel is now having a break from walking and they're camping. So says chapter 22 verse 1, Then the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. Now, the mention of Jericho, he reminds us that their journey is coming to an end, even though the book of Joshua is still to come in our Bibles. Without going over the last couple of Bible talks about these colourful characters, Balak, the king of Moab, and Balaam, this foreign prophet from Mesopotamia, we're going to pick things up now at chapters 23 to 24. Finally, we reach a point when Balaam delivers his oracles, which is a fancy word for prophecies concerning the people of Israel whom he's been, remember, he's been paid money to come and call down curses upon them, though Israel don't know what's happening, of course. Now, when Australia plays England in the Ashes cricket, the Barmy army in the crowd like to sing taunts or chants about the Aussie batsmen or bowlers, you know, trying to get them to lose their focus. It's not quite the same as calling down curses on them, but it's kind of related. I mean, mad English cricket fans are not about to call down blessings, are they, upon Steve Smith or Pat Cummins? Well, here's King Balak saying to Balaam the seer, I'll give you good money, Balaam, if you just come and sing some taunts, chant some curses against this mass of people camped in my holiday reserve on the plains of Moab. But what we find across chapters 23 and 24 is this back-and-forth conversation between the bees with B1, Balak, getting more and more fed up and frustrated with B2 and the lack of cursing that's coming out of Balaam's mouth. Now, we're not not going to go through in great detail each of the oracles. You can read them for yourself or maybe ask your pastor to explain what's going on if you're still confused. And he might reply, yeah, that's a great question. Give me a day or two to find my donkey and I'll see if she has the answer. So rather than look at all the details, Instead, I'll pick up on just one thing Balaam prophesies from each of his three oracles. So three elements across three oracles across two chapters. But first, let's look at the big picture of these three oracles being delivered by Balaam to Balak about ancient Israel. Before each of the three oracles, which are very poetic in form, we get this similar pattern or sequence of events. Sometimes there are some minor differences, but mostly you'll be able to see or hear this pattern. So firstly, Balak takes Balaam to a good observation lookout so he can view Israel. Secondly, Balaam instructs Balak to offer sacrifices. 
Now, rather than think this sounds like Balaam is doing something right and pleasing before God, offering sacrifices, we later learn that Balaam's offerings are a kind of superstitious religion. We're even told in chapter 24, verse 1, that he's looking for magic omens, which we know from the book of Deuteronomy, from God's laws, that the practice of omens is strictly forbidden by God. So he offers, uh, instructs Balak to offer sacrifices. Thirdly, Balak sacrifices the animals and then he stands beside the sacrifices. Fourth step, Balaam goes alone and God reveals himself to him. Fifth step, Balaam returns to Balak. And then finally, Balaam obeys God and he speaks the oracle. So listen out for this uh, recurring pattern and listen out as Hannah reads uh, this next section. Numbers chapter 23 verses 13 to 18. And Balak said to him, Please come with me to another place from which you may see them. You shall see only a fraction of them and shall not see them all. Then curse them for me from there. And he took him to the field of Zophim, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars, and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Balaam said to Balak, Stand here beside your burnt offering, while I meet the Lord over there. And the Lord met Balaam, and put a word in his mouth, and said, Return to Balak, and thus shall you speak. And he came to him, and behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering, and the princes of Moab with him. And Balak said to him, What has the Lord spoken? And Balaam took up his discourse and said, Rise, Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor. So that's the pattern we see three times over before each oracle from God is delivered. Apparently, it was either Benjamin Franklin or Albert Einstein who gave us the definition of insanity. You might have heard this. Doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. Well, Balak and Balaam, they fit that statement to a T, whatever T has to do with it. Balak keeps asking and paying Balaam to call down curses on Israel. But instead, he ends up blessing Israel. Three times the same ritual, three times the same results. Now, I should say that sometimes our Bible headings give us a fourth oracle or even a fifth and sixth one near the end of chapter 24. But remember, the Bible headings are not part of the original text. And what we have from chapter 24, verse 15 and following is a continuation of the third and final oracle delivered at the start of chapter 24. So try not to get too worked up about that. It's all OK. Well, let's pick things up on the three things spoken by Balaam, who's already been told numerous times, remember, that he is to only speak what God tells him to declare. Well, let's hear the first oracle by Balaam, but delivered to us by Hannah. Numbers chapter 23, verses 7 to 12. And Balaam took up his discourse and said, From Aram, Balak has brought me, the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come, curse Jacob for me, and come, denounce Israel. How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the crags I see him, from the hills I behold him. Behold, a people dwelling alone, and not counting itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob, or the number of fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright, and let my end be like his. And Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, 
and behold, you have done nothing but bless them. And he answered and said, Must I not take care to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? Now from this oracle, I want to remind us, as Balaam reminds us, that the promises first given to Abraham in Genesis 12 are still standing firm. Remember Genesis 12, I will make you a great nation, Abraham, and will bless you, and you'll be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. And in Numbers chapter 23, verse 8, we clearly hear Balaam say, How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? And then in verse 10, a very clear reference back to the promises given to uh, Father Abraham. Who can count the dust of Jacob? Which is a direct quote from Genesis 13 and Genesis chapter 28. So the ongoing theme of this first oracle is that Israel cannot be cursed. God stands by his promises. His people will be blessed. They will be as numerous as the sand on the seashore, like stars in the night sky, like dust on the earth. And this, of course, has great application for you and me as followers of the Lord Jesus, doesn't it? So when you stand in church and you belt out the song, In Christ Alone, singing, No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand, we know that this promise from the end of Romans chapter 8 rings true for all time. We know that we stand under the blessing of God, not his curse. For Jesus has indeed taken God's curse upon himself on our behalf, so that we might know firsthand and every day that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And can we even say that our Heavenly Father watches over his children and blesses us, that he even knows the numbers of hairs on our head and will care for us? Well, yes, we can say that. Though dead, Balaam still speaks, or rather, God's word still stands firm in the heavens. Well, the second oracle comes along in chapter 23, verses 18 to 24. The overall theme of this oracle is the Lord promises to stick with Israel and will give her victory. God is not about to change his mind. Let me just highlight one thing from this oracle. Right at the start, chapter 23, verse 19, we read this. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? And you find a similar call across scripture, 1 Samuel 15, Malachi chapter 3 verse 6, Titus chapter 1 verse 2, Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18, Romans chapter 11 verse 29. Now remember, across the Bible, when it appears God changes his mind or relents from something, this is not contradicting this great truth of theology here. When such things happen, such as in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, 1 Samuel 15, verse 11, or Exodus 32, verse 14, what's happening here is that God changes his response based on people's repentance or upon his people's prayers. But the truths, you see, of what he has stated, they never change. So here in Numbers, it's a reminder that God cannot be manipulated or tricked by magic pagan prophets. And he's not fickle like us when we tell lies or change our minds to suit our selfish ways. That when God promises something, he will surely deliver. He doesn't change his mind on a whim like we tend to do because of FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. 
Why is it that across church life that more and more people of God, more and more God's people don't seem to have a problem with saying things and they're not really following through on what they say they'll do? I think it's become more of an issue over recent years. I, I can't prove it, but it just seems to be the case that when I meet someone from church at the shops, for example, the day before church, and we end the conversation with them saying, I'll see you tomorrow. Sometimes I'm not so sure that they should have said that when their track record of following through on such a simple response is not so good. Is it that we've become too FOMO that we can't even commit to something as basic as church attendance and then actually follow through on what we say we'll do? Now, of course, I'm not talking about exceptional things that come along out of our control that we can't follow through on something when we said we'd do it, for example. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about common conversations that I hear far too frequently where perhaps FOMO kicks in when it really shouldn't. Well, thank God that he is not like us. The infinite creator is not like his finite creatures. That when God tells us something he will do, he will surely do it. He doesn't suffer from FOMO. He never makes a promise in Scripture that he will not follow through on. Which is a great comfort when you remember the promise given numerous times across the New Testament that the Lord Jesus will return again to bring his kingdom to a final consummation. We can come back to this doctrine from the lips of Balaam and we can say with absolute confidence while we wait for the return of his son, God is not like a person that he should lie. When he promises something, he will surely deliver on what he has said. Though dead, Balaam still speaks, or rather, God's word still stands firm in the heavens. Well, by the end of chapter 23, verses 25 to 30, uh, Balak is wishing that Balaam would just shut up rather than keep pouring down blessings on Israel. But still, like an insane person, he tries for the third and final time to get Balaam to curse Israel. Now, across this third prophecy, we're reminded again of the promises given to Abraham back in Genesis 12, where we even hear these words from Balaam in, the, in chapter 24, verse 9 of Numbers. We read, God crouched, he lay down like a lion, like a lioness, who will rouse him up? Blessed are those who bless you and cursed to those who curse you. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? But one more amazing prophecy gets uttered by Balaam, and this time it is so Christ-centered that we can't miss it. Chapter 24, verse 17, Balaam says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheph. Now, in its immediate Old Testament context, it seems to be talking about King David and the victories that God gives uh, him over Moab and all the other nations. You can read some of that in 2 Samuel chapter 8, for example. But beyond this, Balaam is looking ahead to a future mystery man. So he says, not now, he's not near but he will come. And verse 19 goes on to tell us that he will rule over a great kingdom. And this star out of Jacob and this royal scepter out of Israel will eventually crush his enemies. 
Now we've heard this language previously, haven't we, in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, but also in Genesis chapter 49 verse 10, with Jacob blessing his sons and specifically saying to his son Judah, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honour. But like many Old Testament prophecies, we actually need the New Testament writers to help us out a little. And while the New Testament writers don't exactly quote Balaam's prophecy word for word here, there are enough allusions uh, to point us to see the Lord Jesus Christ as the star and the scepter and the crusher of God's enemies. Remember at the birth of Jesus, the heavenly star rises over Israel to identify the birthplace of God's uh, coming king. And in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, we even have foreign magi, seers, coming from the same region as Balaam, and they're saying, we have seen his star in the east. Keith and Kirsten Getty with Ricky Skaggs sing, brightest and best of sons of the morning, dawn on our darkness and lend us thine aid. Star in the east, the horizon adorning, guide where our infant redeemer was laid. And then in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, Revelation chapter 2, verse 26 to 28, and Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, we're reminded in the New Testament that Jesus is actually called the bright morning star. For he is the light that brings grace and salvation and blessing to all who call upon his name. So the Davidic kingdom is certainly partial fulfillment of Balaam's oracle here but it takes the Lord Jesus to bring its ultimate fulfilment. And as readers of all of Scripture, it's not too much to say that in Jesus, the star of Jacob, the royal scepter from the house of Judah, has risen for us and for our salvation. Well, that's the three oracles, and I've just pointed out three, theolog the three uh, theological truths. First one, God remains true to his promises from Genesis 12. Second one, God cannot lie and will fulfill his promises to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, and to you and me. And thirdly, the star and the scepter is pointing us to see the wonder of Jesus and the gospel of salvation still to come. Now remember, across these chapters, Balak is hiring Balaam to say some horrible things, to, to, to basically curse Israel. Instead, he has some wonderful things to prophesy about them. So blessings instead of curses. And the fact remains, God can even use, as we've seen, God can even use a money-hungry, pagan, false prophet like Balaam to deliver wonderful truths to God's people. He can do that then and he can certainly do it now. Perhaps when all is said and done, these strange chapters featuring Balaam should remind us that God can even use pagan prophets and donkeys to deliver his word, and that when he tells us that his people will be blessed, they surely will be. One final lesson to reflect on before we leave B1 and B2 finally behind. Do you realise that it is possible to know and to recite true truths of God and to hold wonderful theology that is orthodox and Bible-tight to be a professional Bible scholar even, to have the degrees and qualifications, and yet, sadly, not be a true follower 
of the Lord Jesus. For Balaam here delivers truths of God. But sadly, tragically, he doesn't believe them. Or he doesn't act upon them. But for you and me, instead, we are to keep our own head in the Bible and we are to do the hard work ourselves of hearing God's word and then being doers of God's word. Listen to this quote by Matthew Henry, the Bible commentator from the 1600s. He writes, A man, a person, may be full of the knowledge of God and yet utterly destitute of the grace of God. He may receive the truth in the light of it and yet be a stranger to the love of it. My friends, may that never be the case for you and me as we continue to travel home by faith, hope and love, looking to God's word. Thanks for listening to Meals for Maturity. Keep growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ.